All right, welcome everybody to episode 17 of the Independent Intel Podcast. I'm your host, Kimbu Bomani. And today I have a special guest, off script, otherwise known as Scott Tay. He's been blowing up in the YouTube stratosphere recently. I came across this channel um, right before the SWAC spring season started, and he's been one of the rising HBCU channels out there producing great content about the sport of football. And I don't want to, you know, introduce this guy before he's able to introduce himself. So off script, just talk about your channel, talk about his development, and talk about what was a big part of you creating this platform in a unique time such as this one during the pandemic. Man, appreciate you, Intel, uh, for having me on. Um, and uh, thank you for, you know, even checking out my channel. It, it's funny. My channel started a very, very funny way. It was actually between me and a good military buddy of mine. It was supposed to be about pro sports. Uh, we started back in August 2020. Uh, I mean, we came out hard, too, man. We just knew we was going to be the new thing on YouTube, just talking about, you know, the Cowboys and NFL and NBA, you name it, we were talking about it. So we did that, probably did about four or five videos a day. Um, and the catalog was large, but we weren't getting any traction, none whatsoever. So he quit on me. Uh, just one day, just never came back to the show. Uh, I ain't gonna lie to you, I was kind of depressed because I was like, man, like I really wanted this to blow. I love talking, as you know, if you see my channel, I love to talk and I love sports. You know what I'm saying? So, so I'm just, I'm, I'm just milking, just sulking around the house. Uh, I get on a black YouTube channel on Facebook, a Facebook group, and I meet a guy named Cut Day, as everybody knows in that, in this space, the HBCU space, uh, a big, big content creator. Uh, at this time, he wasn't even as big as he was. He might, he might have been like three or four thousand subscribers strong, but not as big as he is now. And uh, he was just posting his success, posting his success. And he was like, "If you want to know the secret sauce, you know, message me." So I'm like, "Shoot, I want to know," you know. So I hit cut up, and he tells me HBCU sports. And this is like, this is like early December, early December when we I meet cut, and he's like, "Man, you need to get in the HBCU market." My videos are blowing up. Uh, it's not It's not a market that's heavily tapped. And as soon as we talked about it, I was like, man, I I, when I tell you I knew nothing about HBCU sports, I know I seem like a guru or whatever. I knew, I didn't, I couldn't name you two teams on the SWAC. I swear, I swear for everything, I couldn't name you two teams on the SWAC. I didn't even know what the SWAC was. So he was telling me about it. I was like, all right, cool. So I sat on it. A week, a week before Dion had just, just came to Jackson State. That was my first video. I got 15,000 views. And from that point forward, I was like, listen, <laughs> we gonna ride this HBCU kid that can't get rich no more. And so I've been making content. And and I, the first time I did my live show, cause I still wasn't getting traction. I was getting some views, but I wasn't getting traction. I didn't start getting my traction until I started doing my pregame and postgame shows. And that was back in, my first pregame was February. And ever since, like late February, early March, yeah. And ever since then, it's been it's been growing ever since. And I, I thank God, it's truly been a blessing. Um, and I, I know I couldn't, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for God. But, but at the same time, you know, I appreciate Cut so much. I mean, he really, that's, that's my guy. He pulled me out the muck and the mire. And he saw something in me I didn't see in myself. And that's how you got off script. So to go from having off script, really from the beginning, talking about potentially pro basketball and football, you have to make a complete U-turn 
to HBCU sports, preferably the football market, how much research, how much time and energy did it take to get referenced on all those elements that you said coming into it, you couldn't tell two teams from each other in terms of how they represented the SWAC? Man, that's a great question. So when I tell you I'm a pro guy, like I am pro everything. You you name a pro sport, I probably know about it. College was never on my radar. So when I so I had to hit it hard and hit it fast. So a lot of it I learned on the fly, just reaching out to cut. You know, uh, as as subscribers came in, they gave me their history on, you know, the school they went to and things of that nature. Me Googling uh, a lot, because the one thing I didn't like about college sports is the turnover is so high. You know, the players might stay at at a school for one year, you know, and they transfer or they stay for two years. Like you don't have the consistency like you do with the pros. You know, Aaron Rodgers has been Green Bay's quarterback for the last 16 years. You see, like you can always depend on that. And that's the one thing I kind of despised about college. But now, since I'm into it so in-depthly, and I'm still not to where other guys are, I'm good enough to talk about it. Um, and there's still a lot for me to learn when it comes to the history of the SWAC and, you know, all the people that have come through. But I've, I've gotten a good grasp on it. But when I, when it's, when I tell you I've had, I had to, some long nights, some super, super long nights getting players' names, uh, the system, the coaches, you know, uh, the, their, their, their history with that team they're playing. Like, it's just so much that comes into it. And these and SWAC fans, man, I thought pro fans were bad. Woo, them SWAC fans, they take their schools very, very seriously. So don't, don't, for like the first two months, I kept calling Alcorn. Alcorn is it's called Alcorn. And I'm like, who says at all when it's spelled A-L-C-O-R-N? It's no two L's. Like, what are we? I was getting creamed in the comments for that. So I had to learn those nuances and things like that. So it was, it, it's been fun. It's been, it's been uh, a challenge, but it, it's, it's all been worth it. It's all been worth it. The unique part about your channel is you're probably one of the only YouTubers I know that has a live call-in show on that platform. Talk about incorporating that within your channel and how entertaining it is for you, because I know it's entertaining for me as a viewer and for your viewers being able to interact with you on a weekly basis within the show? I have to be honest. So I stole that idea from uh, a lot of Dallas Cowboys uh, channels that I watch on YouTube. Uh, shout out to Law Nation, shout out to Bosch Lombardi, shout out to Skywalker. Um, those guys do live calling shows with the Cowboys fans and I can never get in, never. You know what I'm saying? So it really bothered me, but I wanted to bring that aspect to uh, swag football because I know for me, as much as I love to talk, I hate to hear myself talk by myself. That is my biggest pet peeve. I hate, I am, I am, I don't like to hear my own voice a lot. So I love the interaction with fans. And I've been that fan that you're so mad at your team, that you're so engaged and involved with your team that you want to call in and want somebody to hear your opinion, no matter how crazy or stupid it is or how, you know, how profound you might think you are. You just want somebody to sit there and listen to it. And I'm willing to do that. And and I know you've seen a couple of my shows. I've gone two, three hours just letting people talk and letting people get that off their chest because that's what it's about. And like I say, I'm for the people and I'm for for uh, fans to get their opinions out. But it's it has been life changing uh, bringing that aspect to the show. And listen, the characters that come on that thing. Oh, my goodness. I mean, they will have you dying, laughing. Chris from Cincinnati, uh, Miss Felicia. 
Mr. T from ATL. I mean, the names just go on and on. So they they have been they've been they've been a blessing to me, good or bad. And and the one thing I love about it is the disagreements. To have the dis everybody's not going to agree with me. Every, I'm not going to agree with everybody else. But you know, I've I've tried to make it a habit to respectfully disagree or to understand like, hey, you feel the way you feel, I feel the way I feel, but you, I will always let you get your opinion across, period. And that leads me into the big one. Got to talk about it. You had the opportunity to interview Deion Sanders recently. And it was a weird situation that I, along with a lot of your viewers on your channel, got to witness you calling him out, questioning, was he creating a fair quarterback competition towards him recognizing your call out? And then you guys being able to collab and talk man to man about your issues and also the great things he's providing within the University of Jackson State. Talk about that process. And as it happened, um, how did you have to go from, I can't believe this is happening to, okay, time to lock in and be as professional as I can so I can realize this potential? Oh, man. Whew. All right. So I, I hope we have time. So, you know, Intel, and how I get down on my channel is I'm going to speak my mind. I'm going to say how I feel. I, no if and buts about it. I don't care if you're Deion Sanders. I don't care if you're the Pope. If anybody can get it. Captain Petty, Sergeant Smoke. You Listen, it's, it's real deal. Holy feel out here. So, you know, I, and I truly felt from the interview that that was disrespectful. And I and, and it's adamant and it's hard. And if, if people, you know, are listening and they don't know what happened, you can go back and watch Deion Sanders' interview where he laughed at the question posed to him about whether it be a fair quarterback competition. And that snip got cut and shipped all over the internet. I, I being one, saw it and I condemned him for it. Straight up, I'll just, I'll be honest, I condemned him for it. I felt as though it was immature, especially being, a, a, especially being who he was in the position that he was and his son being the quarterback. Like there's just so many aspects of that that just didn't look right to me. And that's when I commented on it. I did a live show. I mean, I went live quickly. That was like late. It was a late live too at that and uh, talked about it. And, you know, once again, live calling show. So callers calling in, they talking about it as well. Fast forward to that Monday. I do a tell me why you mad Monday. And um, a, a subscriber sent me the video. As soon as I get off live, he sent me the video on my Instagram and showed me the behind the scenes footage. and. I get the I get the whole picture of it of why what happened and why Dion was laughing. So, and honestly, the way my mom taught has always taught me is right is right and wrong is wrong. So, as adamant as I was going in on him, I had to be to me as adamant as I was to go apologize, and that's exactly why I jumped right back on my live, and I you know I apologized. <laughs> so who's to who's, I mean, wherewithal that Dion would see the video, let alone FaceTime me and reach out to me about the video. And then getting an interview was just a blessing beyond a blessing. Um, when I tell you he is one of the realest and honest guys, like you can meet as a celebrity, he is truly down to nature. He's truly down to earth, cool guy. And the, to also go to the other question of why, how I could go from, you know, being so high and then you know being excited for this moment and to also you know be in a professional setting i have to give credit to my girl because that that day listen man i couldn't even i had she was my i was mock interviewing her at the at the hotel and i couldn't even get my sit i couldn't even get my intro together i was so nervous 
And she really calmed me down. It was just like, be yourself. That's why you're here. That's how you got here is being yourself. I was trying to be all, you know, ESPN-ish and, you know, just trying to do that. And she's like, that's not you. You know, that's not who you are and be yourself. And that, that gave me a comfortability that I didn't have to be something I wasn't and try to do something that I couldn't do, which is just be me, ask questions that I really wanted to know. And my fans will, or my subscribers will want to know and we'll make it happen. And man, it, it, it came out beautifully, beautifully. Uh, I appreciate him for his time. And, you know, Dion honestly said anything I need from him, you know, Jackson State wise, I got it. So I made a lifelong connection and I couldn't be more blessed. Prior to Dion and you guys having that conversation, you, in essence, became the insider of SWAC Sports to the point where players, you would invite them on your show and you guys would have conversations and ask them interview type questions. How has it been you create this platform going from don't know a lot about HBCU sports and now you're connecting with some of the biggest names within the football circuit within that conference? Uh, so for me, it's been a true blessing because at first I just came in as a Jackson State bandwagon and everybody knows who I'm revving, you know what I'm saying? Everybody knows I'm a Jackson State bandwagon, but at the same time, you know, I've really been blessed to meet a lot of people through my live show, through going to Jackson and being there, like, you know, meeting coach, uh, coach Maynard's brother, like I'm cool with him, you know, um, having certain players come up to me and want to do announcements on my show and want to be on the show or transfers and graduate transfers, all those type of things. It has been a true, I can't, I can't keep saying it's been a true blessing because I love it. And I really do it for the kids. I do it for the exposure because once you really start diving and, un and uncovering a lot of stuff when it comes to the HBC and SWAC football, they're, they're done very dirty. The SWAC doesn't do enough to expose itself by playing outside, but at the same time, a lot of people kind of cut them off from, you know, recruiting and pros because of the lack of competition they feel of that they don't play outside. So these kids aren't getting exposure like they should. They're not being on ESPN. They're not going to the FCS playoffs and, you know, be putting on this natural, uh, national spotlight. So every kid has a story. Doesn't matter how you got there. You started quarterback for Alabama and um, Prairie View, or you 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 have a story. And ESPN can't cover everybody, so that's why I take it on my personal mission is to give these kids, give these kids a chance to tell their story, how hard they work to get here, what they're trying to do, what their goals are, what their aspirations are, and let people know a little bit about them. You know what I'm saying? You have fans who are uh, ripping these kids, and and I'm being one of them because <laughs> I came for Jalen Jones and I still will. But anyway, uh, but, you know, you have these uh, fans that are ripping these kids, but you don't even know them. You don't know them from, you know, uh, from, a, a, from a, a pin needle or a haystack. So um, I really, I really just love the interaction with the kids and that they feel comfortable to come to me. And even I have coaches. It's crazy. I got coaches in the Slack that hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, and tell me some insider information off the record. But I, it, it feels different because I'm like, wow, I, I never thought I would be in this position to have a kind of like the black woes or like I call myself the black Adam Schefter. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it really feels like that for the for the swag. And I love it. I really, really love it. And I, and I take it very seriously because if some if a kid tells me something off record, it's off record. I'm not a journalist. I don't work for The Washington Post, but 
that's that's something that he's instilled in me and that trust and you can't break that or you start losing those connections going forward down the line. Of course, you are the plug when it comes to swag football <laughs> and we're going to go right into with the swag content. It was a unique season. The spring season it was Alabama and AM and Arkansas Pine Bluff. They were in the swag championship game. The Bulldogs find a way to win, and they're gonna probably be building off of that momentum moving forward. When it, we when you have a team like Alabama AM, especially in a conference where Bethune Cookman and FAMU, they're coming next season. What is the legitimacy of their team bringing back its core offensive unit that's explosive? What is the legitimacy in terms of their opportunity to repeat as swag champs? And if not repeat, be in the contention to seem as legit as possible when everybody's in the field come fall man listen you're gonna get some exclusive right here because i don't see alabama in the repeat i really don't but they are definitely going to be in contention and the reason is is anytime your quarterback your coach can stay together it's it's a beautiful thing it's a beautiful thing you don't lose that you, you keep that consistency you keep that continuity offensively wise and alabama a&m's weakness is always going to be their defense if their defense could ever match their offense, they would be hellacious in the East. You know what I'm saying? So that is what it is. But you can never count them out. When you have the best player in the in the conference, you always have a chance. And, and that's no shot at Felix Harper, the quarterback from Alcorn. But, my guy, you're not throwing like this kid. And I, I, I've seen you tape, Felix. If, I know you're listening to this. I've I seen you tape, my guy. You're not throwing like Akil Glass. All right? So you when you have that guy – you always have a chance in a fight, period. But if you want to break down the games, I mean, they're one defensive stop to losing to Jackson State, to Quincy. You see what I'm saying? So you see the flaws in their game. You see the flaws in their team. And you see teams like Jackson State reloading. You see teams like FAMU with Don Cookman coming over. You see teams like Alcorn coming back. You just, there's just too much, there's too much competition to, for me to just say, you're you're going to get it again. but I have to give you credit where credit is due. You showed up when you played. You won the games you were supposed to win. And you are the SWAC champions. And you can't, can't take that away from you. I never will. But this upcoming season, you're going to have to run it back. And you're going to have to show me something. And Akil Glass and Connell Maynard, I, I think they ready. They want the smoke. I think they're built for it. But you know what I'm saying? But exclusively, I don't see them repeat. With Pine Bluff, the team that lost, they're also a unit with Skylar Perry. Um, he was influential in their run. He is the type of guy that presents a dual threat establishment as a quarterback, probably is a better runner than he is passer right now. How influential is it for him to progress as a passer for that offense to become even more dynamic to coincide with a defensive unit led by Thigpen at the DB position and continue to escalate their play come fall? Man, listen, it's funny you asked me. I was just talking to a subscriber earlier today about him. And he is explosive, but he has to get better at throwing the ball. It, it just, it has to happen. Um, but the benefit that he has is he has a coach, his offensive coordinator, Coach Kitten Evans, is magnificent in drawing up plays. Magnificent. He makes it so easy for Skylar Perry sometimes just based off the, the, the scheme of the play, how everything's set up. You didn't see it all in the fashion against Alabama AM. I really feel like they, they kept a lot of stuff to the chest and they should have just brought out all the guns, but that's neither here nor there. But overall, I think they would definitely compete in the West for being contention because, once again, like you said, when you have Jalen Thigpen, when you have Isaiah Peppers, when you have Skylar Perry, when you have Ralph and, and, and uh, Josh Wilkes, 
you're always going to be in the battle. And plus, the West is weak. Let's call it what it is. The West is weak. You got to see Southern and Alcorn. That's it. Maybe, maybe PV, depending on how they want to show up. Mississippi Valley State, they Valley State. So it's it shouldn't be that hard to be in contention in the West. You just got to beat the big dogs when you're supposed to beat them. That's for Alabama State, the team that had a chance to get in the SWAG championship, lost their rival Alabama AM. Ryan Nettles is your guy. He was the freshman <laughs> newcomer of the year. I do. He was the freshman newcomer of the year. And if he doesn't get hurt in a rivalry matchup against AM, they probably have a lot of a better chance to win. How is it he he is the linchpin of that team offensively? How important is it for him to continue to develop as a player and to help bring that team over the top in the fall and compete for a swag title? Listen. Nettles is from day week one has been my guy. So um, you're absolutely right. And see, the beauty, the beauty that Nettles has is he's playing behind an amazing defense. He has the security of that defense so he can be a little rusty every, every now and again and still be able to stay in games because his defense with uh, Bubba and Ershaw Davis and um, uh, was it Christian Clark is, is the Frank Clark's little brother. I mean, dumb boys come to play. Nettles has to get to a point where he sees the game and it slows down and he can be the guy that they need him to be because one thing I know from Nettles, he wants to throw the ball. He loves the D ball. He has great touch. He's a great quarterback. And for a freshman, this was a, listen, this was a great year for him as a freshman. This is a great, to me, it was like a great preseason for him. Even though everybody knows they won the win the swag championship, we all know what it was. It was Grambling, calling out, and everybody all corner quit. It, it was, it was a facade. I would, I would say it should be having an asterisk, but whatever. But it's a great practice season for Nettles. Great way to dip his fit, dip, uh, dip his toe in, coming off an ACL injury for what I think two years ago. So, and him being a you know Alabama State staying with him and and having uh, that that process with him. So his growth, Ezra Gray. I, I don't know if he comes back for the fall. You know, merit. Uh, give them some, give them some more receivers. I think Jefferson left. Um, so you give them some receivers to work with, you'll, you'll have a team. But once again, that team is like the Legion of Boom and the Seattle Seahawks back in the day. It's strictly off defense. They will never outscore you. They will never just, they're not Alabama a and they'll put 40 and 50 points on you. But they are Alabama a and that they can score when they need to. And you're absolutely right. Nettles, Going down in that Alabama A&M game changed the whole dynamic of the game. I truly believe if he stays in the game, they win that. You do, and I agree with that as well. I know the callers on your show <laughs> try to make it seem like that's not the case, but you could kind of tell the way the game was going. They were there, and the backup comes in. He held his own for a quarter, but eventually the floodgates opened, and they were basically submerged from there. With Southern, Dawson Odoms, he's gone. He's no longer the head coach. He's at Norfolk State but they have a solid core team. And outside of a hiccup against Pine Bluff, they dominated everybody else on their schedule and are led by FCS All-American Jordan Lewis as a pass rusher. Talking about him first before the team, he's only, he's only 219 pounds, but he caused havoc during the spring season. How influential is his progression as a pass rusher? Possibly bulking up will help that defense take another step and also help his draft status as he gets into the fall play. Listen, uh, Jordan Lewis is a freaking monster. <laughs> if you don't know, now you know. Um, he, if he's playing at University of Houston, if he's playing at Sam Houston State, if he's playing 
at Pitt, he's a second round pick easily. I mean, you can you can do with your eyes closed. He's a second round pick just because he's in the swag. They might push him down to the fifth or sixth round, but if he's playing any power five football, he's a second round pick easily. Um, he is the catalyst to that defense. Um, I don't see him playing. I see him playing like a, a hybrid three, four ish in the league, kind of like a TJ Watt type of thing to where, you know, you have your hand in the dirt. Sometimes you have to drop back. Uh, he's versatile to do that. Um, I think that the coach that they have is going to really bring him out even more because from what I've heard from a lot of Southern alum is that he's a defensive guru. So he literally, that's his bread and butter. That's what he lives by. That's what he uh, breathes by. And they're going to need it because they're not going to shoot. They're not going to be teams in the because of the style of football they play. They, they're run first team. Their quarterbacks are run first guy. Um, so you're going to have to have a great defense and it's strictly old school football. We're going to run you out the game and we're going to batter you into dirt with defense. I mean, it's literally in Southern's offensive line. The real travesty is that nobody on Southern offensive line made FCS All-American. That is unfathomable. Not one of them made FCS All-American. It's a problem, but we're not going to talk about that. But overall, I think Southern has a great opportunity to be in contention. But to me, they would never get over the hump because they don't have the playmakers on the offensive side of the ball, i.e. quarterback, i.e. Uh, receivers that scare you or make you do something different defensively. And I feel like they're going to get stuck with that, holding the ball. Holding the second. Yeah, the, yeah, the quarterback situation is pretty sticky. Um, They ran a dual system. Yeah. In essence, uh, sometimes Skelton would be in there to be the runner. They'd bring the backup in to be the pocket passer. You know, there's always been that known thing in the pro level. Having two quarterbacks is like having no quarterbacks. No quarterback. It's an issue. <laughs> right. It's a very big dilemma. So for Southern, where should they lean moving forward in the fall? Do you continue with Skelton and basically run a power S Tebow style scheme where you're just going to run quarterback draws to assimilate with your running plays with your running back? Or do you go for the backup or the polished passer and try to open up that offensive playbook to at least align with your defense somewhat as a threat against the opposition. Let me let me let me ask you this. And you you're, you've been around the swag long enough. You're an interim head coach trying to keep your job. Who do you play? I play the guy that can throw the ball. I mean, you, you gotta <laughs> do that. <laughs> I see, and for me, I play the guy who's the three-time um Grambling MVP, the uh, Bayou Classic MVP. I have to go with what I know. You know what I'm saying? And, and to me, to make that big change, that make that big shift, I have to be 100% certain Josh Lampley can take me over the hump. You see what I'm saying? Like, I have to be 100% sure that he gives me the best chance to win. And if I don't, because think about it, Lampley does, is not as, as explosive. He's not as tough and rigid like Lader Like, Skelton, listen, people bashed on me for the first two weeks when I kept skilting in my top five quarterbacks. It's not because of his arm. It's because of his leadership and his legs. You have to understand quarterbacks lead and you need a tough SOB when you're playing the quarterback position because you want somebody in a dogfight. You want somebody like a kill glass taking that hit for the first down, the QB draw in the SWAC championship. That's a dog play. That's I want it more than you. So for me, Skelton has been in the SWAC championship and lost. Skelton has been in the Bayou Classic and won it three times. 
he's been there, done that. Yes, he's made bad throws. Yes, he's put in, been put in bad positions. But I can see a lot of games has been bad play calling. You're in the red zone, and why are you throwing the ball three times when you know that is not your game? What are you doing? So it's things like that that make it that much worse when you when you compound that, okay, you know your guy can't throw the ball. You know he's not the most uh, efficient at throwing, but yet and still you keep putting him in predicaments that show his weakness and not his strength. So if it was me and I'm the interim head coach, listen, Skellen, <laughs> we're going to ride out, baby, because I only got one year to get this thing right. And uh, I'm going a, I'm to a, I'm a ride your coattails, and I'm going I'm to I'm run you to the wheels fall off. Speaking about the rivals, Grambling, they had a tumultuous season after the situation against Jackson State where they collapsed and they lost. Um, Jeremy Hickbottom leaves. Right now, there's a flux situation at quarterback. They do have an incoming freshman in that's highly touted. He, he could possibly elevate that team a little bit more, but it's a bare cupboard there. What can Broderick Fobbs do for that establishment moving forward in the fall? Probably not to win the swag, but to compete. You got to... Yeah. <laughs> Noah Bolden uh, from uh, New York. Uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a prototype, you know, 6'2", 6'3", uh, good arm. But you can't, like you said, the cupboard's bare. So you're putting a freshman in with, with players that you don't even know can produce. Your top receiver leaves. Your other top receiver leaves. Uh, your offensive line is in shambles. Your defensive line is actually not that bad, but I think you, you've lost a couple to seniors to graduations. So you have to kind of reset your focus. Like this has to be a growing year. And for Fobs, it shouldn't be. You've been in this program for what, four or five, maybe longer than that, maybe well, six, seven years now, maybe longer than that. And understanding, yes, it's a rebuild, but this is a complete teardown and build back up. It feels like, you're losing coaches, new offensive coordinator. It's just a, and this just seemed like something like a, a new regime would do, not somebody who's been there eight, nine years like Roderick Fobbs. So he's on a very thin leash. I mean, he's, if I'm grambling, he, his leash is so thin. If you, if you jerk, it's going to snap and I'm firing you. Like it's just that serious because you're not showing me anything. This was the perfect opportunity for Gremlin to show you what they were about. A shortened season, um, you know, COVID, just getting players involved. But it ends up being the worst thing for you. It, you end up seeing all your flaws and you end up, I mean, you just show every, just all, anything that could have happened to Gremlin happened to Gremlin. And, and I feel bad for them. But at the same time, you know, you get what you, you get what you get. You get what you get. Now, Good news for Fobbs, I guess, and maybe the fan base at Gremlin. He's done this before. He came there when the program was in shambles. He rebuilt them back up. But Devontae Kincaid was a huge part of that. He was a dynamic playmaker at quarterback. Is Noah Biden going to be that for them coming in? I'm not sure. And like you said before, he's a freshman. He's going to come with a bare cupboard. Has no chemistry whatsoever with his weapons. That can obviously be developed in you know camp before the fall. But there's no easy task, especially in a SWAT conference where – you're going to be competing against Southern, obviously. And then Fam, you and Bethune Cookman, they're going to be staunchy competitors as well. I, I just, I feel for them because this is not the time to be in a rebuild mode with all the teams that are coming into the SWAC feeling like they're reloaded. You're rebuilding, they reloaded. It's, you know what I'm saying? It, we're not playing with the same guns. You're shooting, you're shooting water guns, they got bullets. You know what I'm saying? So 
you're going to be, you're going to get picked off. You're going to, the only team that you probably going to compete with is Mississippi Valley, maybe PV. And that's it. Cause nobody on the East is going to give you a win. Nobody. The worst team in the East is not going to give you a win. And there is no bad team in the East right now. It's just, they're, they're that stack on the East. So you, you, you better be lucky in the West. Cause if he was in the East, he'd be Mississippi Valley state all over again. He'd be, he'd be that in the, West, in, in the East. So He's lucky that he is in the West because he has Valley State that's worse than him, so he can always whoop on them. But overall, you're not beating you're, – you're going to lose to Grambling in the Bayou Classic. I mean, you're going to lose to Southern in the Bayou Classic. I mean, it, it's just things that you're not in the position to really be the – you're, you're going to get bullied. You're, you're going to get bullied for a while because think about it. Allcorn's not going anywhere. Southern's not going anywhere. You got UAPB on the rise. PV's on the rise. So it's, where, 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 do, where do you fit in? Yeah, Valley's actually on the east. So, I mean, I guess for Grambling being on the west, maybe they could beat Texas now Southern. They, now they're about to be they about to yeah. oh, Texas Southern. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, maybe. Right. So, moving on to Alcorn, they were the cream of the crop before, obviously, Bama AM wins the swag. Uh, they're coming back in. They've heard all the noise. Their rival school, JSU, they got Dion and these highly touted new recruits. Fam, you and Bethune Cookman, they're coming in. There's no guarantee that you're going to win the swag this year. Just not. But there is a guarantee that they have experience, pedigree, and a formidable program that can get it done when it matters. What are you going to be looking for from that team this fall in terms of reproving their identity once again in a new, in essence, swag? I want to see what do champs really look like? What do champs really look like? Because, you know, as, as Felix said, you know, we're going to start an A, we're going to finish an A. This is a different swag, my guy. Now you you're so you're all corners so lucky they got moved to the west. So lucky because if you would have if, if they would have been in the east, I definitely don't see them coming out of it. And I I, I would said that I would have put everything I had on if they would have came out the east. Um, because it's just too it's too loaded. I want to see what Felix Harper looks like um, in because I like I said in person I want to see him YouTube stuff. And I, I want to see how they bounce back and, and, run, and run the West. If they can continue to run the West, are they still the formidable team that they have been? Nico Duffy, Felix Harper, Fred McNair. We shall see. You know, I really wish I could have seen them in the spring ball. I, I really do. I, I think it would have added just that much of a dimension, especially with Dion uh, and JSU. That all-core matchup would have been crazy. But, they you know, they, they did what they thought was necessary. But, you know, and, and, and honestly, I feel like they didn't need it because, once again, like I told you, if you keep the continuity between your starting quarterback and your coach, you don't really need too much practice. Now, defensive-wise, yeah, maybe. But when your quarterback knows the system like the back of his hand, what do I really know? What I, come on, man. We do this, man. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, we'll, we'll be ready in the fall. That's, that's how I would feel if I was Phoenix. Last but not least, Jackson State University, my alma mater, their bandwagon <laughs> team. They got Deion Sanders. He's coming. He's basically brought a whole new culture, a whole new vibe, rebuilt the practice field that I used to be on when it wasn't what it is now. I'm just playing with friends. Um, bringing in new recruits that are going to come in and have ultimately pushed the old regime out because they're coming in as players. But the real question is quarterback. When I was there, school never had a quarterback. 
So because we never had a quarterback, we were never really a legit competitor. They have Shador Sanders. He looks like he's going to be the guy. You've been critical about Sanders and his ability to be able to translate to the collegiate level. Are you still critical about him? And if so, what is he going to have to do to make this team a swag really champion? Because they're in a tough division where you're going to have to play FAMU and Bethune-Cookman or off the bat on the road. In essence, it's a neutral side game, but you're on the road against FAMU, who is no joke. What does he have to prove from day one to showcase to not only his team, but to the rest of the swag that he's got what it takes to make JSU a swag champion? All right, so Shador. All right, so listen, this is how I feel about Shador. I, I know he's a quarterback. He's, he's an upgrade over Jalen Jones. You can't tell me he's not. I don't, I don't know. Anybody that says he's not is, is crazy. He's an upgrade over Jalen Jones. My issue with Shador is I've never seen him with, 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 with a lack of talent. That's my thing. Show me how you are. Put you on Southern. Put you on PV. Put you on Mississippi Valley State. Are you still Shador Sanders? You know, and I, don't get me wrong, quarterbacks need people, but quarterbacks also make receivers better. They throw receivers open. They have the touch, the gift. He is going to have an all-world wide receiver lineup. I'm telling you, I've seen the depth chart. It's crazy. Like, my grandmother can play quarterback and throw for 300 yards with these receivers. It's that serious right now. So he's not going to show me anything new. What I want to see is, is his toughness his grit, his adversity, when things go bad, you're down a touchdown, your team fumbles. Like that's when you see who you're dealing with as a quarterback. That's where you see leadership. That is, is he going to do a QB draw and take the big hit for the first down? Or is he going to slide and think about his career? Like those are the moments where I will judge Shadur because simply saying him being a quarterback, listen, he is driving the Corvette and all you got to do is not mess up the clutch. Just put the thing in second gear and let's ride out. People are going, listen, Jackson State is a buzz saw coming. I'm trying to tell people they think I'm lying. These boys is going to destroy the swag. And I, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I truly do. If, if, if everybody stays healthy, if everything good, the swag doesn't have a chance. But once again, my issue with Shador is that I don't think he makes anybody better. You give him talent, you'll see what your talent can do, but you will never see how good Shador truly is unless he has a lack of talent. Because think about it, when you're the number one pick, you go to the best team, you go to the worst team. So now as Trevor Lawrence, can I make these guys better? Can I elevate these guys? And that's what I don't think Shador is about. Do I think he's a great quarterback? He's probably an awesome quarterback. When you're throwing to these studs on the receiver, I, like I said, I can do it blindfolded, and I can probably complete five out of ten. So we'll see. Yeah, those are all valid points. I think the most revealing thing about Shadur was, you know, when he was in high school at Trinity, over time basically did a two, they did a two-season-long documentary of them. And there was a situation where he was in practice and they were missing one of the receivers I think this was before Robert Williams came in, but Mm -hmm. they were trying to find an identity at the receiver position. He struggled in practice and he basically told his dad, you got to get some better talent out here because I can't do it. And that in essence is basically the indictment you've made on him already. When the talent is there, he's quality. When it's not, he's rudimentary possibly. 
And I think at the quarterback position for me personally, um, two things kind of have to stand out, your anticipation and then the arm strength and then the accuracy. So that's three. Yeah. You don't have to have the strongest arm. I get it. Used to be, I'm a huge Saints fan. Drew Brees in his prime didn't have the strongest arm, but he anticipated very well in the throws and he was hella accurate. Deion Sunshador, he's accurate. I don't know if he can anticipate the throws, though. If you're not wide open, is he going to hit you in a tight window? I don't think so. And he isn't the most mobile. So sit hard in high school. When you bring heavy rush against him, and that Jackson State offensive line did not look good in the spring, hopefully to get their stuff together in the fall, he's going to be a sitting duck. And when he's under pressure, he's not the same quarterback. So I get it. You know, Tom Brady is his, I guess, mentor, and he's got – hella connects so i think all he has to do for the sake of his pro career is in essence dominate the swag which is easier said than done and he'll be an nfl draft pick but in terms of what he can be long term i don't know i mean in this game it doesn't matter how wide open the offenses are if you can't hit a guy on the boundary consistently make an nfl type throw you're gonna suffer we see that with lamar jackson now i love lamar but his anticipatory throws on the boundary aren't there that separates that team from being a playoff team and a Super Bowl contender man you are spitting bars I mean big big facts and the benefit that Shador has is he's walking into a system that he's played his whole life what quarterback can say that oh I'm walking into a college a new college that I this is the same system I played in high school the same system I've been around my whole life so I might not know the anticipation throws, but I know where the window is supposed to be. I know where my hot route is. All those little things people don't understand, that stuff makes a big difference when you're the quarterback who understands everything, when you understand the whole play and not just pieces of it, because that's how most freshman quarterbacks learn. They never give you the full package because they know you can't handle it. They know you don't know a check read with a hot route, with the option route, with the if they're doing cover three, we're going to do this. If we're doing cover two, you don't know all that because you haven't been around it. But when you've been around it your whole life, he should know what the hot route is on the cover two. He should know what the hot route is on the cover three. If they go man to man, where the ball should go. He should know all these app applications. So he's going to look good based off of him understanding what the defense is trying to do and what the offense is trying to do to the defense. Now, from there, does your skill set show up? Does your arm show up? Does the anticipation like you talk about show up? Can you make that throw in the boundary? Those are all, those are all questions that we have to find out, but he's ahead of the game because of the fact that he knows the playbook so well. And he can, he can probably walk up there right now and check out a, check out a play and do an audible because he's Shador Sanders. And he knows the playbook. What other freshman quarterback you know is walking up day one and can audible out of a play? Come on, it doesn't happen. Yeah, they tailor made the whole situation for sure. And I, I know people aren't going to admit it. I mean, I talked about it to my family on the side, and they basically told me, you know, Deion's not going to get the gig. And I'm like, well, you know, it could be competition. It really wasn't competition. And, you know, Casey, I feel like, did his thing the two games he was in there very productively, especially the game against Alabama and AM, where it was a track meet and he kept up. It's just the JSU defense couldn't make plays. Um, but Shador is going to have the ultimate safety weapon, Dalen Baldwin. He's going to be able to throw to him. He looks like a monster and a complete stud. He was, in essence, a revelation for JSU in spring ball. What does he possess as a unique talent that he will continue to be a legitimate factor in terms of a dominant force offensively in the SWAC? Listen. When you're God-given 6'3", 4'4", you're going to dominate somebody. 
and he's six three four four. I mean, it's it's just too easy for Baldwin, and I really feel that if he would have had Quincy the whole spring season, he would have went over a thousand yards, and with the easy easy because of his ability to take short routes long and complete long routes. You know, so he is a do it all receiver. He can go across the middle. He's big. He's physical. He can take, he can, he can make the, he can make the uh, contested catches. You know what I'm saying? He, he has the yak, the yards up to the catch. He is a complete receiver. And once again, he plays for any power five school. He's a third round pick, second, third round pick easily because of his, his measurables. He has the measurables. You see what I'm saying? So you're six, two, six, three, run a four, four, and you can run away from people. Yeah. Your problem. Yeah. Ball with his counterpart on the opposite side and Warren Newman there. They're pros to me. Like, I, you just look at him, you can tell. Noon with the shiftiness, Baldwin, his catch radius, his speed, 6'3". You can't teach height speed. I mean, you bring that to the table, and you got those solid hands. Those are guarantees. Defensively, DeJuan Warren, he leads the charge in the secondary for those guys. Shiloh's going to be back there as well at the safety position. But for JSU's defense, they got the big names in the secondary at corner and safety. At the end of the day, in any type of level of football, you need a pass rush. They didn't get there at all consistently. And they didn't get there at all when it came to stopping the run, put their linebackers in bad spots as well. How important is it for JSU to dominate? Well, let's not even say dominate. Be better in the trenches on both ends of the football than they were this spring because they were really bad this spring in the trenches. I don't care what – I don't care how many skill players you have. And you know and we know if you cannot control the line of scrimmage, you lose the game, point blank period. And that's what makes Southern so powerful is how well they control the line of scrimmage any game they play. Um, D-line should be, has been Deion Sanders. And you haven't seen the recruits he's bringing in, the graduate transfer from, uh, I believe, Georgia Tech, other, other transfers that he's coming up, one kid from Auburn. Like, he has the studs coming in. Now, are they going to show up? We, we don't know. But on paper, it's a buzzsaw. People think I'm playing. On paper, it's a buzzsaw. Like, he has what you need to do what you want them to do because all that is going to do is give Nugget, Holmes, Shiloh, they're going to give them the green light to sit on short routes because you don't have the time to get the ball off and they're picking it and going the other way. Listen, if if everything goes down like I see it going down, Nugget should put them D-linemen on his Christmas list because my man is going to have four to five picks this year. It's just that simple because we all know one thing leads to another. And I go back to the Legion of Boom. People get enamored with Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor, Earl Thomas, Brent, Brandon Bragner. But you have to understand them four horsemen he had on the D-line that got after people. So they all co- they all co-work together. It all works together. And I don't care if you're Deion Sanders. I don't care if you're um, uh, 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 Peterson from the, the Cardinals or he left out, but... I don't care if you're Nami Amsawa, whomever, Stephen Gilmore, you can only cover for so long. If you don't have any pass rush, you can only cover for so long and somebody's going to get open. So JSU is going to be a completely different team. Hopefully, with the stuff that they bring in, they show up and they show out. So you said all that. Who do you have, fall prediction, representing in the SWAT championship? Best team from the East, best team from the West. Um, if you could pick it right now off of what you're seeing, who are your two favorites? 
my two favorites, and I would say this, and I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna kind of make it a little bigger. What it comes down to in the on the east is AM, JSU, but it's gonna come down to the west is Alcorn and Southern, as always. And I see, I think Southern, if I'm being honest, I think Southern makes it to the championship because of Rollins' defense. I, I feel like he's gonna do something different to Felix Harper, change it up. And I see JSU being in the SWAT championship. So my final one is Southern, JSU, the hated rivals that they are in the SWAT championship. Listen, I'm gonna be front row center. I'm gonna be on the field because I'm I will not miss that game. That's my prediction. And I can tell you, you just stated it. Dion, it's gonna be important. Beating Alcorn and beating Southern, those matter. I mean, you you can yeah. you can you can like mess around and not beat other teams, but you know, we take Alcorn very serious, rivalry week, Southern as well. Um, you're not able to beat them, guys are gonna start looking at you like, okay, we brought you here, you can't win those games. That's yeah. very important. He sends statesmen in those matchups. People are gonna really value him as the hot commodity that they wanted him to be when they brought him in as their head coach. Exactly. That's facts. Moving on to the next topic, I know your guys, LeBron James, so I wanted to bring this topic in there for you, throw you a little alley. The Lakers, LeBron, looks like they might be in the play-in. Um, your thoughts on that, and do they have what it takes to be in the NBA Finals? Because that's that's really their barometer, not being in the Western Conference Finals, not get out of the play-in. Do you feel like they can represent the West in the Finals in June? They can with a caveat, big caveat. Anthony Davis cannot play like he's 6'2 and shoot 33s. What are you doing, my guy? You're 7'2 shooting 15 threes a game. It makes, no, this new basketball makes no sense to me. I have, I wish I would be at a pickup game and somebody 7'2 is out there shooting threes. I'd be like, if you don't get your big, tail underneath the paint and do something get a rebound oh my god listen anthony davis is the key to all this if he does not become the dominant figure that he's supposed to be the lakers have no chance and it's not to say lebron they have a lebron can do everything but to get them to the finals against utah against phoenix no you're not going to beat these teams if you're not if Anthony Davis is not the player you, you wanted him to be when you traded for him. And you can kind of sit back on your laurels and like, oh, we got a championship or whatever. But really, it just comes down to those two guys. And really, Anthony Davis, you know what you're going to get from LeBron. LeBron's a walking 20 and 10. Like, stop playing. You know what I'm saying? 20, 10 and 8. 28 and 8. That, 25, 8 and 8, honestly. So you know what you're going to get from him. Anthony Davis is the, is the, is the, is the weak link to me. And you got to show up and shooting 10 to 15 threes a game is not to me showing up. So that's my biggest issue is how they use Anthony Davis and how he wants to be used. Like, come on, bro. <laughs> that's an intriguing perspective, but I do think AD is going to do his thing. Like you said, him and LeBron, they're going to come and play all the time. They're going to be productive. My issue with the Lakers is they're not as tall as what they were last year. That height, that size, that physicality was to their advantage. They pushed around Jokic. They basically eviscerated Houston when they went small. And, you know, Portland was just as big as they were, but, you know, they didn't have anybody to guard AD or LeBron, so it didn't matter. 
Um, so that height thing is a huge thing. And my other issue is, and I want to see your thoughts on this, they're not as deep. Now, they're featuring Kuzma and Horton Tucker more, mainly because AD and LeBron can't play. And they've been productive, so I expect them to be in the rotation. But they're very inconsistent. They're very streaky. And they've just started to utilize Marcus Gasol into what he kind of is at this point in his career, a rebounder, a floor spacer, but really a point center. However, he's older, and he can't really defend as well as he used to, and neither can Andre Drummond. So uh, those factors are big, and what do you feel about those? Uh, I Man, listen, I 100% agree with you in the sense of we don't have the same. The worst thing they did was give up the white for Mark. That went, and when it happened, and people can go on my channel, I is before I went HBCU-ish. That was, I said that was the worst thing they could have possibly done for their team. Dwight Howard was such a key element to that team of how he ran the floor, how he was physical, how he did his job and did it very well, did not care about the point stats. He just did what he was supposed to do. Worst decision they made in the offseason was bringing in Mark for Dwight. Anyway, moving on. Cools is always streaky. I need my man to play better defense. If to me, if you want to be on my floor, you got to play better defense, my guy. Yeah, we know you want to shoot the ball. Yeah, we know you want to score. Yeah, we know you, you're looking at Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball, and you're like, oh, I wish I could. No, you're not on that team. They ain't got no rings. We need you to play defense over here, my guy. All right, do what you're supposed to do. He needs to play better defense. Alex Crusoe, love him. The depth is going to come back when Schroeder gets back. Uh, him being that position, uh, that point guard position, definitely going to lock that down. Great score. Great uh, floor general. I love T THT. I, I really do. I love his game. I love what he's about. I love his tenacity. I love how he got in that position. And now he's he's capitalizing and he's taking big shots. You know what I'm saying? The three against uh the Knicks, I believe, where he, he knocks it down. Like he's stepping up into a role and feeling more comfortable and confident. That's what you need going into the playoffs. So players aren't afraid for that moment, taking those big shots because you know playing with LeBron is going to give, he's going to give you those opportunities to make those threes because he's not going to hog the ball. You're open. He's going to make the right basketball play and give you the opportunity. The Lakers have to get back to playing better defense. Andre Drummond has to commit to that. Anthony Davis has to freaking commit to that in rebounding. You can't have three, seven footers and be getting out rebounded. What are we doing? What, what are we doing? You got Andre Drummond, Marcus Hall and Anthony Davis. And y'all are getting out rebounded. What are what? How does that even happen? So it's stuff like that that is just so frustrating to watch because you're like, this isn't basketball. This is like pickup. Everybody just oh, let's just shoot threes and run. Like oh, it's so annoying. I agree. Um, it does coincide with the fact that Gasol's older. Drummond's rebound statistics are very misleading, and you know AD, skinny old AD is as skilled as he is. He does not like physicality, so. If it comes down to him banging inside to get boards, you can't always count on it. No. I work for the Lakers in general. They're in a very generous spot. I look at the West, the Suns and the Jazz, they're the top two seeds. I like the Suns' story. I don't know if they're ready yet. Utah basically looks like 2018 Houston reincarnated. The issue is, can Gobert be on the floor as the game goes on? Because teams realize if you take him away from the basket, and make him guard on the perimeter, he is a complete liability. And as great as Donovan Mitchell is at this age, he's not James Harden. So he's streaky as well. 
I think the Lakers' biggest comp, it was the biggest comp last year, it's going to be the Clippers. I think the Clippers are a lot better team than what they were last year, and I think the main thing is they're deeper, and they have Rondo on their team, who's no longer with the Lakers. He's going to help them as well. Um, do you feel the same about L.A. being the ultimate competition out West, and are you a lot more skeptical this time around than probably that other Clipper team last year due to the cohesion and chemistry that they've been able to develop this time around? No. Playoff P is not going to show up. You know what you're going to – listen, I don't care if you have Michael Jordan on that team. George Paul, Paul George, is not going to show up. He's not going – listen, my man is going to go 0 for 10, 2 for 8. He just doesn't show up in playoff games. So until that happens, then maybe – and I mean a slight maybe. But he doesn't show up. I mean, you're with Westbrook in OKC – Westbrook is going ham, dropping 35. You can't even give my man 10 points. You can't even give my man 10. No, no, Paul. You will, pandemic P, you will not, you will not hoodwink me, my guy. I'm I don't even know if you might get out the first round. We all know y'all ain't gonna get out the second round. So it's just, I'm not a believer in the Clippers. I never will be a believer in the Clippers. Now, I'll believe in the Suns before I believe in the Clippers because of Chris Paul. Chris, people are not giving, and, I, and I'm so sorry I'm going off a tangent. People are not giving my man Chris Paul enough credit. Every team he goes to is successful, period. My man goes to OKC. You can't even name their starting five. He takes Houston to six games. No, seven games. Takes Houston to seven games. He's with the he's with the Hornets. He puts the Hornets on the map. He goes to Houston. He I mean, they, they're, a, they're one game, they're a hamstring away from going to the finals. Like, let's, they're, they're listen, my, the Suns were the worst team in the West last year, and now they're in the second seat of the playoffs for one player? How is he not the MVP? How is, bro, you just took a team that was not even thought of to be in the playoffs, to the playoffs. Come on, man. You want to give it to Joker? You want to you give it to Embiid? They was in the playoffs last year. Yeah, but you know what? The MVP stats kind of matter. And, I mean, he doesn't have 20-plus points a game. I'm not expecting him to do that. It's What he brings to the table is intangibles, leadership, understanding, elements that the Suns needed. Got to give credit to Monty Williams, though, as the head coach. Oh, he helped yeah. build that foundation in the bubble, and they just needed a point guard. Yes. That it was a threat scoring because they had Rubio before – and the skinny on Rubio is he can't shoot to save his life. I mean, he's a great passer, underrated defender, but he's not a throw offensively from beyond eight feet. So there's that. The thing about the Suns is DeAndre Ayton. Like, he's not he's not a number one pick type talent. And I think a lot of it has to do with he's not the most polished interior scorer. And he's going to be that third wheel that they're going to need to come up in the clutch. You know, Paul's going to give you quality minutes. You know, Booker's going to give you quality minutes. If your third option has to be Aiden, and he gives you nine points in, in a game. That's not going to be enough, and that's my worry for the Suns. Aiden's going to have to improve his play. Can you rely on his improved play in this series? I don't know, and I get it with Paul George. I'll defend Paul George a little bit. The OKC series, when they lost to Portland, he had a bum shoulder, um, and he did not play well because of the bum shoulder, and in the, in the Clipper thing, they won't be in a bubble. Um, I Still, you got to show up and be professional. It's your job. If you didn't want to be in the bubble, like, literally don't show up. Like, just stay home. But 
so those two elements there however when he was with indiana after they took the heat to seven and lost when lebron was there he never got out the first round again and i think a lot of that has to do with intangibles he's a great talent but his two-way dimension has kind of lost his luster because cats hit jumpers on him for game all the time now and offensively he's skilled but he'll settle he'll settle for a tough jump shot and he'll get in his own head and you're right he's your second most important player this is the deepest clipper clipper team i've seen since paul was there when they lost to the rockets when they're up 3-1 however you still need your second best player to play like an all-star and if he can't and Kawhi has to make up for it that's not going to be enough So, move it out to the East. Brooklyn, they're a dominant force. I mean, where on the street is Durant, Kyrie, Harden. They're going to play again for the eighth time. So, for the Nets, are they a lock in your eyes to come out in the East? And if they're not, is Milwaukee and Philadelphia legit enough challengers in your eyes come playoff time? The only chance that the East had was Harden not playing. If Harden's hamstring lasted enough to that they had that he wasn't going to make it back to the playoffs. That's the only chance. Because if I'm being honest, if I'm being, and this, this might be controversial, to me, he's the best player on that team. He does, he, he is so, he does so much for the Nets. It's ridiculous. Like his, his stat line is like 35, 10, and 12. You're like, what the crap? Harden, what, what, he, listen, he's, he's amazing. He's purely amazing. And, and I just thought it was a Houston thing. Like, it was just because the ball was his all the time. He's amazing. Um, the only chance uh, Philly and Milwaukee have is to bang. Is to bang, bang, bang. Because they have no bigs. Blake Griffith is not messing with um, Giannis, nor Embiid. And if I'm Embiid, I'm trying to get everybody in foul trouble. I mean, listen, you better go through me early and often. And play good defense behind it. And if I'm Ben Simmons, I'm hitting the paint. Like, listen, this this paint wars out here because you're not gonna. If you have a shootout with Brooklyn, you're gonna lose. If you play Brooklyn Brooklyn style of game, you're gonna lose. It's just that simple. Slow the game down, make it difficult, make it grimy, make it gritty, and you have a way to pull it out. If you don't, you're gonna lose. It's just that simple. I agree. Like, use your size to your advantage if you're Philly or Milwaukee. The issue is. They don't do that. They play like they have <laughs> shooters all over the floor. So Embiid, as talented as he is, Shaquille O'Neal always gets on him for not putting his back towards the basket and utilizing his size, physique, skill set to dominate smaller players. Ben Simmons, he's a point guard that cannot shoot. I've always said this since three years ago. As long as Ben Simmons doesn't get a jump shot, Philadelphia is never getting out of the East. And for Milwaukee, same thing. They don't like using Giannis inside and i think a lot of that has to do with Budenholzer's scheme comes from the popovich tree they like to go four corners and they like to have Giannis bring the ball up drive and kick here's the thing he's not lebron in terms of a natural passer and he's not even lebron when it comes to a jump shot so if they sag off and dare him to shoot it's hit or miss and so because of that that's why i feel like brooklyn has a great chance and while i don't think Harden is the best player he's the most important because when they got him there Initially, everybody was like, oh, my gosh, it's one ball, three dudes. It's not going to work. I knew based upon I was heavily invested in OKC when he was there. And I followed Harden's play with Houston. They were always in the playoffs. They were always on national TV. I recognized 
his seven year stint might have been seven, maybe eight with Houston was not the was not a microcosm of who he was as a player. As a player, he's basically a point guard. In Houston, they made him be more than that because they wanted to sell tickets, and it worked. They were the hottest show in the state. They made the playoffs. Harden fell in love with that because that's what ownership wanted. And I think he started to forget what he needed to be as a player to be successful. He took everything personal. And you know it's bad when Kobe Bryant, probably one of the biggest ball hogs out there, comes out and says, that's not going to be enough, Harden. It's not going to be enough for you to win a championship. He comes to Brooklyn, and he basically takes Spencer Dimwitty's role because Dimwitty was going to be the point before he tore his ACL. And so Harden comes in, and I knew it. I'm like, Harden going to run the point. Kyrie going to play off ball. Durant going to play off ball. It's going to work. And it did. The issue was they never were healthy enough altogether. Now they are Harden. When he came back against the Spurs, he looked healthy. Durant, after he banged his knee against the Heat, he looks great. Kyrie, even on Ramadan, solid. If they're all together and they're locked in, it's going to be tough. I, 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 I felt like, look, as long as Kyrie bought in, he was the key element. They're going to win the championship. He's bought in. And unless one of those guys get hurt, they're going to win it. Now, if Harden gets hurt, they're beatable because Kyrie's not a natural point. Durant's not a natural playmaker. They're hired guns. So you're going to be looking to get points. It's basically when they're together, it's like a more efficient aspect of Westbrook and Durant. Because Kyrie can shoot better than Westbrook, but he probably has the same decision-making as Westbrook as well. Tunnel vision, he's going to go for shots galore. When you have a guy in there that can regulate the pace, get everybody in order, make those guys' lives easier by giving them easier shots, and then involving a Jeff Green, a Blake Griffin, and Lobster DeAndre, they become literally the ultimate dimension of Mike D'Antoni's scheme because D'Antoni has a huge input on who they are offensively. It's seven seconds or less with three future Hall of Famers. Nothing can beat that. Mm. No, that's real. And I, I love the breakdown that you just did. I think if worst come to worst, the person you could lose on the team and still be and still be great would be Kyrie. If you lose Kyrie, you could still be great because of the simple fact that you know what Harden can give you. You know what Kevin Durant's a walking bucket. Um and I love the fact that you said, you know, he's, he's, I like how you put it. He's not the best, but he's the most important. And that's, and that's exactly what I meant to say. Um, but you, you, you summed it up so nicely. The thing with that is, is that how with, with the NBA where, and where it's going, it's all about how the refs call the game. If the refs let the game be played, Brooklyn can be beat because of the fact of how, they, how the style of play that they play, being you know having shooters and, and Harding being the, the pretty much the real only driver of the ball, you know if you can keep him out the paint, you you'll have you, you know you just gotta make shots and you either you either make them or you miss them. It's just you can live with that, you know shoot or shoot. But if they don't let the game get mucked up and they let Harding get those foul calls and those and those foul lines, man, listen, you you, you it's gonna be a long day. It's going to be a long day for you. So, you know, the refs have a big part of the way that it gets played as well. But back to the Budenholzer thing. I said this last year when the Heat and the Milwaukee went up against each other. I said, the reason I'm picking the Heat to win is because they have the better coach. At the end of the game, when teams are matched up together and you feel they're even, I always go to who has the better coach. And Budenholzer is notorious for losing with great teams. 
the 60 wins Atlanta Hawk team, the 60 win Milwaukee Buck team. He is notorious for losing games, especially in playoffs. So I do not trust Budenholzer. I wouldn't trust him with no type of talent because at the end of the day, I don't know if he does enough to get his team ready to play big games. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't think that Hawks team is that great, but I feel you. I, I don't think they should have got swept. They got swept against the Cavs, but, you know, the writing was on the wall for Bud when they were up 2-0 against Toronto, and it just felt like they're going to the finals, and they never went again. And all Nick Nurse did was throw the wall. And a way to beat the wall is, and I've been saying this for the last couple of years, put Giannis at the five, play him inside, or play inside out. And I know a lot of people are probably like, well, do we know if Giannis has the post game? And is he physical enough? He's seven feet. They're going to double naturally because of who he is and his athleticism, his leaping ability, and his strength. You do that. Middleton, Brogdon, Bledsoe, they get better looks. Now, you can't run the wall anymore. You have to double. You double quality looks. You could cut behind that. You can run a curl action behind it, all of that. Instead, no, he said, okay, I'm going to still have Giannis bring it up as the point forward. He's going he's gonna to run, he's going to beat that wall by pulling up and passing. Not the greatest passer, doesn't have that natural jump shot. So, you know, Bud's at a point now where I think I read, they don't get far in the playoffs, he's gone. Um, if far means get out the East, yeah, he's gone. And they just need, they need a better coach for that team. And I still think Giannis needs to take the next step. It feels like the last three years we've all been saying collectively, man, once Giannis gets that jump shot, he's going to be unbeatable. He's got to get it now. It doesn't need to be Curry. It doesn't need to be Leonard. It can be DeRozan. And that's enough. That's enough. <laughs> that's enough. That is enough. Because now you he can play at the free throw line. He's a consistent enough mid-range shooter. They're going to have to double. Cuts to the basket, wide open looks. Everything's going to be quality from then on. But if he is going to occasionally make a shot from on some shot put type stuff, that's not going to be consistent in the postseason because everybody's going to run that same heat defense. Yep. Toronto defense, wall. And if Giannis does get in and gets by the first defender, there's someone waiting from underneath. Are they going to bully him enough to where it's so much effort to get the ball in your hands in the first place that by the time you make a move, You've already exerted half of your energy to get the basketball. And shot clock. So moving on, Dallas Cowboys, that's your team. Draft just happened a couple of weekends ago. Schedule just was released this week. So you're seeing the schedule. I saw before, you know, I talked to you guys. I'm, I think you guys are a 9-10 wing team. I do think you guys are probably going 0-2. I don't think you're being the Bucks. I don't think you're being the Chargers. But you guys went all out defensively in the drafts. Um, Dan Quinn is your DC. He's going to try to bring that Seattle as defensive identity. Long corners on that cover three scheme. Dad Prescott's coming back from the injury. Their division, the NFC East, has improved slightly. I think quarterback is the one advantage Dallas has. But the rest of Dallas's team isn't as quality. Their offensive line suspect defensively is an unknown. What do you feel like your team is bringing into the new season that leaves you confident? or a little bit disappointed and uncertain heading into the new season? First of all, the disrespect that you're just showing my team and within the, the conference is just, it's just utter, just, just utter disrespect. Just, I mean, like, first of all, like, listen, and I'm not even a Dallas Cowboy, like, 
oh my God, we can't do nothing wrong. I'll be quick to tell you, I hate that. I don't like Dak Prescott. I do not like Dak Prescott at all. Um, I just, I, I, I feel we shouldn't have paid him. But that's a whole nother conversation. First of all, we got the best receiver core in the East. Who You can't name another receiver core better than ours. Uh, we have the best running back in the NFC East. We have the best quarterback. And, and that's saying something with me. And I'll take Jalen Hurts over Dak Prescott, but just just at, at the essence of just fairness, we have the best quarterback. So offensively, we have the best offense in the East, period. Now, defense goes to Washington. You know, everybody knows that Washington is the best. Anyway, so to get back to you, I just, I just want to make that very clear. I just want to be real disrespectful with those seats. So, <laughs> but I, it's, man, listen. I Listen, this is my thing. I am not a Dak nor Mike McCarthy fan. And this is why. If Mike McCarthy couldn't make it work with the NFL Hall of Fame quarterback, why in the blue hell are you here coaching Dak Prescott? Like, your scheme, the West Coast, it should work with the personnel that we have. It should. We'll see. So how that works. But being a run-first team we've been over the past few years, that's not what it is. And then you have the boy wonder, Kellen Moore. You don't know what he's going to call. I mean, it, it's just so much uncertainty uh, when it comes to offense and, and defensive-wise. And, and Dan Quinn, I mean, bro, you, you, just got, you just got kicked out of Atlanta for having one of the worst defenses in the NFL. I don't know if that scheme works if you don't have prime time players, if you don't have a Cam Chancellor, if you don't have an Earl Thomas, like I said, Legion of Boom or Richard Sherman. Now, don't get me wrong. I love um, Stefan Diggs. What is, what is it? What's his brother's name? Yeah, Stefan. Yeah. It's Trevon Diggs, Trevon. I think. Trevon. I love Trevon. Love him. Don't think he should be playing corner. Think he should be playing safety. Uh, that's another thing because. He gets burned on man-to-man. Great recovery speed, but not great man-to-man. Um, Michael Parsons, I love the draft pick because Lord knows uh, the Wolf Hunter stays hurt, Van Der Esch, and listen, Jalen Smith be lost in the sauce. So those are just aspects of the defense. And we need D-line help. We need, we, listen, I'm so sick and tired of Dallas with this weak nose tackle, tackle stuff. Like, Bro, get a fat boy in there and stop the run. Like, why y'all trying to be cute for long for the longest time? Rod Melanelli would get these 6'2, 260, 270. No, man. I need 6'6, 350, 360. Listen, just sit there and eat a donut. Just don't let nobody run up the middle. And we've been getting murdered. Man. Oh my gosh, it's been so frustrating. But overall. To me, this is Dak. This, this, this is this is Dak's time. If you want to show me something, Dak, show me all those intangibles, all that leadership stuff. Show me you can go out and win a game. Show me you can be the best player on this team because I feel you're a game manager. I feel you shouldn't have got $40 million. You don't make anybody better around you. You are Shador Sanders. When you have talent, congratulations. When you don't have talent, you look like poo. So it's just like, how good are you? Do you deserve $40 million? Hell no. You know who deserves $40 million? 
Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, they make players better. So going forward, we shall see. Do I see us being a 10 win team? I cannot tell you that right now. I really can't. I, and I usually like, ah, oh, you know, I see it. And I, I've seen the schedule. I think the NFC, I, I think we should sweep the NFC East if we don't do nothing else or split one with Washington. Um, and that hurts my heart to say that because uh, I really hate losing to them. But there's no reason we shouldn't beat. And then we play in the NFC. What, 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 what division are we playing this year? Um, NFC South, I believe. We're playing the NFC South with the Falcons and so so. We shouldn't have too much problem with the NFC South other than Tampa. So it's just, it's a lot of aspects of it that it, it lines up well for us, but can't, but Dallas has always been notorious for you beat the teams that you're supposed to beat, but you never beat the good teams. And that to me is where you separate yourself between, okay, are we taking the next step or are we still the same mediocrity? You're, they're the swack. You're beating up your you're beating up everybody in your division, but as soon as you step outside that mug, you lose. So Dak's gonna have to Dak's gonna have to show up. He's gonna have to show up big. And the defense, Dan Quinn, is gonna have to get that defense right. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, with Dallas offensively, you're right, they're talented at the skill positions. It's just their offensive line isn't what they used to be. And we had a conversation where we're talking about swag football. Doesn't matter how dynamic you're skill players are if the O-line can't protect it doesn't matter it was so bad last year for them Ezekiel Elliott literally had nowhere to run so I that used to be their staple run blocking to the best of their ability opening up running lanes for Zeke helps the passing game whatnot you know with Dak I just feel like the conversation about the quarterback money is it's kind of stupid and I feel like it's dumb because the market was set before Dak was even in the league and Got to give credit to the quarterbacks, I guess, in the CBA because they always stump for their money and everybody else gets underpaid. So unless you're like the elitist of elite at your position, like Aaron Donald or Jalen Ramsey, maybe you can hit the $100 million mark contract-wise, guaranteed-wise, maybe you hit the 70, 80 mark, million marks, but everybody else gets underpaid. Quarterbacks never do. So when I heard people be like, Dak didn't deserve it, okay, Stafford don't either. Like, he's not won a playoff game. Um, Derek Carr, he doesn't either. And everybody raves about how underrated those guys are. So I just feel like if you're going to come hard at Dak for being a part of a market that's been established before he was even in the league, then everybody else should get the smoke. They don't. So I'm kind of like, what are we talking about here? Um, I do feel like Dallas, the rest of their team, I, I like the linebacker selections, Micah Parsons, Jabril Cox. They are the future. You can say goodbye to the Wolf Hunter and Jalen Smith. They're not going to be there long term probably past this season um but the secondary is still a question mark and the d-line is still a question mark you know you've acknowledged that you like digs at another position safety i don't like digs at all that corner like i know you know skid bayless likes to tell everyone he's got potential and so does shannon sharp but every time i saw him he got burned really bad all the time so and coming out of alabama the knock on him was attitude but you know, wasn't the fastest, and a lot of people thought, is he good in man coverage? And Alabama, you know, system-wise, Kirkpatrick, Sertan, Diggs, they were better zone corners probably than man. So they are running a cover three scheme, so maybe that will help Trevon a lot. And they got Kelvin Joseph out of LSU. They got Nashawn Wright from Oregon State. Um, They got those guys who fit probably a zone concept. They're tall, they're long, they're angular. It doesn't matter what type of defensive concepts you run in the secondary if you can't get home before. They haven't had a consistent pass rusher since DeMarcus Ware. 
And once he left, they've switched places with Randy Gregory, can't stay off of the weed. They've done Alden Smith. He's been promising, but he's Alden Smith at this point of his career where he's kind of washed in that category. And Demarcus Lawrence had one good season. He got paid. He's never been the same. So trenches for Dallas is key. They can't protect Dak. They can't open up running lanes for Zeke. And if they can't apply the pressure, it doesn't matter. However, they're in a unique spot because the Giants and the football team got better, but there's still question marks at the most important position, quarterback. Daniel Jones is like the lesser talented version of Jameis Winston. He turns the ball over just as much as he does, if not more, but he doesn't wow you with a vertical pass down the field or wow you with that pinpoint accuracy throw in a tight window. So it's a make it or break year for him. I think this is his career on the line. And with Washington, I think they're going to roll with Fitzpatrick, and that probably won't be the best decision because the skinny on Fitzpatrick wasn't an issue because he was in Miami last season, is when the weather gets worse, he gets worse. He's not an inclement weather quarterback, and he plays for Washington in the Northeast, where you're going to have to play in Washington, New York, and Philly. Their weathers in the winter are horrible. Winds are atrocious, the snow, all of that. And so his play is going to dip. It's going to nosedive when that happens. And so I feel like for Washington, they should QB battle it out and probably roll with Heineke. He's the much better decision. Contract's at a cheap rate. Right. His contract's at a cheap rate. I just feel like his ceiling is higher than Fitzpatrick at this point. That's my thing. And then with Philly, I'm not a Jalen Hurts guy. I I, I like Jalen Hurts as a person. He's a great guy. But I do feel like his ceiling is Tyrod Taylor. Now, can you get to the playoffs with a Tyrod Taylor, with a prime Tyrod Taylor on a more complete team? Sure. But that means you reached in the second round to take a backup quarterback. That's a French starter. And the cover that they have around him is supremely bare. I like Devonta Smith a lot. Their offensive line is in shambles. They have like six running backs on the roster. I don't know how they're going to use all of those guys. And then defensively, I said this about Darius Slay before he got to the team. He's washed, and he looked very washed last year. I don't think that's going to revert itself, so they're not going to be a factor. But So Dallas, they're not the most complete team, but since the two teams that's going to be competing against them have huge quarterback question marks, that's going to help them enough to win a division and get to the playoffs. I can agree with that. Literally, for Dallas, it's win your division. I mean, that, that should be your main job is, hey, don't lose any games in your division. Um, that's where you, now the Jalen Hurst thing, and I know I'm not the interviewer, the interviewee or how you pronounce it. I, I just, I can't, I can't agree with that because, and the reason, the reason I can't agree with that is because his, the problem that I, the, the problem that I have with Dak that I love about Jalen is Dak tries to act like he's white, but he's black, bro. Stop playing me, bro. You're not Tom Brady. Get your butt out the pocket and run. You know, like, he has, a, he has an issue with that, and that's why he holds the ball as long as he does. That's why he takes unnecessary sacks. He doesn't throw the ball away. He makes dumb plays. Jalen Hurts, to me, can make a throw, can make the throws, but at the same time can get loose. I just want you to be black. Dak, just do, do what you did in Mississippi State. Do what you did in Mississippi, in Mississippi State, bro. You was running the option like nobody's business. You were running QB powers. Now you want to act like you Tom Brady sitting in the pocket. Now I get it. You're not going to make money by being a running quarterback. I understand that. Lamar Jackson is, a, is an anomaly. Michael Vick are the anomalies because they're so, they're so dynamic that it's crazy. 
But at the same time, you be Russell Wilson. Use your feet when you need to and when you have to and when you when you want to. You don't have to do it all the time because you don't want the stigma of the black quarterback. But that's my biggest knock on Dak is that he does not run when he needs to. And if he was a little bit faster, he would have ran away from getting his ankle broke. That's just my point of view. But we'll just do that one. Yeah, I mean, that's that's an interesting perspective. I do feel like Dallas should run Dak more. Um, I recall his Mississippi State days and even his days in Halton because I you know, grew up in the area where he played in high school. He was a guy where he uses like use the ultimate dual threat. Mississippi State, he was so raw to the point where he was a runner more so than a passer. He improved a bunch. And I feel like because of that, he wants to prove to himself, to the organization. And maybe he's felt long term. And this is true long term, because I feel like long term, you can't survive as a running quarterback. I think you know, Lamar, he survived so far in his rookie contract, but we'll see as he gets deeper into his career. But I do feel like at times, Dallas does him a disservice and Dak does him a disservice as well for not utilizing his, his legs when it's necessary. Pocket breaks down, no one is open, go. You don't have to hang in there forever and hope for somebody to break open at the top of their route. Utilize your legs if you can. The avenues are there. With Jalen Hurts, I feel like he uses his legs for everything, like to, to literally get guys open because he's at a point in his career where he can't throw a guy open. So he'll scramble out of the pocket to allow his receivers to freelance and get open on a, you know, backyard type route. And that's fine in last chance, last desperation situations. But every time, eventually, like they did Gardner Minshew, that's Gardner Minshew's issue. And I know a lot of people are like, Gardner Minshew's great, look at his stats. He's a freelance quarterback. And so I know Brett Favre made a living off of doing that. But Brett Favre had, as you know, horrible his decision-makings were, Brett Favre could throw inside the pocket consistently. He chose not to because he's Brett Favre. He feels like he can do whatever. But these guys, they need to because they're not efficient enough in the pocket to consistently hit the boundary throws. That's my issue with Hurts. I will say this, though. He came a long way from his freshman year at Alabama to now. His freshman year at Alabama, he did not look like an NFL quarterback. Now he is. And Josh Allen's proven to everyone, you can Ooh, develop. You can evolve. You can. So, I, look, I'm rooting for him. It pains me to say that he's not there yet. I'm just being real. Hopefully, Philly does him a very major service orchestrating an offense that fits to his skill set quick passing concepts rpo concepts not these long developing throws down the field where you want him to take a 50-yard bomb that carson Wentz type offense that they had scratch that completely orchestrate a scheme that fits him exactly make something like rg3 like alabama s where read option get it out quick suck the defense with the short concepts and the running concepts, and then you take your vertical shots down the field. Yeah, I like that. So, last topic before we officially end this episode. Other NFL teams that you have, I know you're a huge Cowboy fan, but you probably get every aspect of NFL teams throughout the league. Dark horses you have coming into the league that you feel like has what it takes to go to the playoffs and make a legitimate run to win their conference. Dark horses, dolphins. Uh, that would be my first dark horse because listen, and and, and the only reason that they that to me that they're gonna have a problem is Tua. 
it's whatever Tua wants to be and whatever he sees. I, I I was never a fan of Tua when he came out of Alabama, if I'm being honest. Just then I lefties just don't do it for me. I, if I'm being I hate to be that judgmental about a lefty, but he didn't do it for me, and lefties don't usually do it for me. They just weird. The, the whole release thing is just weird for me. Um, but they're a dark horse because of their defense, because of what um Brian Flores is building over there. Uh the Rams with Matthew Stafford. Boy, I cannot wait. And I know, see, it said when you said it, I was like, I'm, I'm a Matthew Stafford fan. Like, I love his arm. I listen, he is a dog. You give this is his time to revamp his career. Everybody was like, is it Detroit or is it Matthew? You're out of Detroit now. Now it's all on you, Matt. Show me what you can do. You with the boy, another boy wonder with um Sean over there. Uh, McVay. So listen, I can't go, oh, man. Listen, I am so excited to see them. Um, who else am I excited to see? Uh, do, 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 do. That's, I think that's pretty much it. Oh, and Chargers. I'm excited to see the Chargers, how they come back and revamp. Um, because I like Herbert. I like Herbert a lot. I mean, I didn't think he was going to be that out of Oregon because he got embarrassed in Auburn. And I was, when I saw him against Auburn, I was like, is this supposed to be the number one pick? Like, he looks so – you got you can play – you get out played by Bo Nix. Like, who is this cat? You know what I'm saying? So, he looked really bad in that game. And that had always stuck with me. So, when he came to the league, I was like, oh, okay. But he, he turned it up on his head, and he, and he looks really, really good. So that is one thing. And oh, and Joe Burrow coming back. Joe Burrow coming back with his boy from uh from LSU, Jamar Chase. So you, oh man, listen, this year is going to be something special. I really, I really am excited to see it. I like that these mid-market teams are getting more and more clout, more and more uh publicity, more talent. So it's literally spreading out. And the rematch, Tampa against Patriots. Like, that's the one game I am circling on my calendar. I know people like Dallas and Tampa, whatever. But Tampa against Patriots? Oh, man, listen. I I will be front row center watching that game. Yeah, those are all great points. I the Chargers is probably one of my dark horses. The Jaguars as well, because not just because they have Trevor Lawrence. He's a huge part. But that team in itself got a lot better in the draft has really improved in the last two drafts in terms of who they are. Whole new secondary with C.J. Henderson leading the charge, Miles Jack, Josh Allen. But you have a guy in Lawrence with those weapons he has around, D.J. Chark. They got Travis Etienne and James Robinson. And they're in a division where in the South, Tennessee is going to have a whole new defense. And I feel like Ryan Tannehill is reaching that point in his career where it's probably time for him to max out. And I feel like while Tennessee will score a lot of points, grind a lot of games out they'll probably be an eight to nine win team i'm gonna say the same thing about the coach which means the jacks have an opportunity to compete not just to stay relevant in the division but win it and with the chargers they're an unfortunate predicament where i don't think the chiefs are going anywhere i think the chiefs are going right back to the super bowl all they needed was an o-line they got a no line magically in one offseason so i to this day don't know why baltimore traded orlando brown to the Chiefs. I don't get that at all. Like, that's the team you're competing against. Why would oh, you do that? Like, that don't even make, like, what are we doing? It, it made no sense. I know 
all the Ravens fans on Instagram tried to fight me and be like, well, look, here's the thing. He's not going to get re-signed anyway, and it was the best deal we had. I'm like, dude, you traded him to a team you can't beat. Like, you haven't beat them at all since Lamar's been your quarterback. You're giving Mahomes more time. I like, I just, you know, don't get that. Um, Chargers, Herbert, I like him a lot. I like you. I didn't, I didn't get it because at Oregon, he looked so underwhelming mm. until he performed in the NFL. And then guys started, you know, everybody's history revisionist now, but it's a good point. Oregon's program was in such flux. Like, I think they had four different offensive coordinators when he was there. He struggled to really grasp a system that fit him. And the way they were playing him, they were playing him like they used to play Mariota when he was there. And while Herbert's a dual threat, he's a way better pure thrower than any of those Oregon quarterbacks that were there before. Masoli, Mariota, Dixon, he's better. So they underutilize him in that situation. It's unfortunate. They want to Rose Bowl. So, I mean, they got something out of it in his final year. But he's phenomenal. They have the Rams old DC. He's their coach. I just hope Derwin James can stay healthy. He hasn't played in two years and he's still really special because he's a box safety that can cover. So he can come up towards the line and support the run. All the slot receivers, all All, that. Right. And then he could cover a slot. He could cover a tight end though. And in a division where you have to face Waller, Kelsey and Fant, you need a guy that can do that. He can do it at a high level. Injuries were an issue when he was at Florida state. They're an issue now in the pros. Some things just never change. So we just hope he can stay healthy. But besides that, they got Asante Samuel Jr. He's going to help them out in the secondary. Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram, they were both nicked up last year. They're the team that always gives the char- they gives the Chiefs the problems in their division. I know the Broncos played them close, and I know the Raiders played them close, but I just never took that legitly. I took Man. the Chargers legitly because Herbert's special. One throw against the Chiefs lost in that game. And I know you know exactly what they're going to talk about. He rolls right and he throws back across his body. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, the game is in the bag. Like, you, all you got to do is just go down there, kick a field goal, the game is over. So, man, I was like, oh, my gosh. But you see how well they play. And like you said, Melvin and Joey are going to come to play. And also what I wanted to touch on is, the 49ers getting their D-line back. If the 49ers get all them bad boys healthy, and listen, people, <laughs> that boy Shanahan be making Nick Mullins look good. So if you, if you can make Nick Mullins look good, I can only imagine what you can do with Trey Lance. And I was a feel, I wanted them to get Justin Fields. I feel like they would have got Justin Fields. Oh, my God. They would have shook. They would have, like, like Muhammad Ali, I'm going to shake up the world. But I'm, I'm telling you, but. I, I, I like the Trey Lance pick, but I think Justin Fields' pick would have been 10 times better. But that's neither here nor there. That's another yeah. sleeper. Yeah, I mean, Niners as well. They're a huge sleeper. Um, I just don't really consider them a sleeper in my eyes because what happened last year was just unfortunate. Everybody got hurt. and But in the in people getting hurt, I saw a couple of guys emerge that was, was you know, enlightening. Uh, Fred Warner's special. He's the next up-and-coming middle linebacker in the NFL. He can do it all. He continues to blossom in atrocious situations that he was in as being the common linchpin within their defense. And Jason Verrett, he was the guy coming out of TCU. He was very special at the defensive back position. Never panned out with the Chargers because he couldn't stay healthy. He finally stayed healthy with the Niners, ironically, when everyone else got hurt. And he could ball. 
So he's going to lock it down with Mosley. The thing about the Niners is the health of the running backs because they, they run them all. They're all the same, but they run all of the same concepts, which is tough because I feel like, I don't know if McKinnon's still there. He might not be, but they ran McKinnon and Moster up the middle, which is fine, but not all the time because they're track stars at running back. So I feel like certain plays, if you want to run power, run power with a more power built back. I know it'll tip the defense because if you come in with a 235 pound guy, they're going to be like, oh, power. But you can hit him with a play action. But like just running all of these backs the same way when everybody's body type is different, that does them a disservice. When their running backs start to get hurt, destroy their offense because at that time, Garoppolo was inefficient. And the guys that they had in Mullins, he wasn't getting it done. Mullins was only successful with a competent running game. If you don't have consistent backs in the game, it kind of takes away the allure of you running it because you don't want your running back that's in to get hurt because he's the only running back you have on the roster. Quarterback, I agree. Fields, I thought, made the most sense. The problem that affected Fields was, I think more so than him being black, was him being an Ohio State quarterback. They have a horrible stigma. Now, it was the same thing with Texas Tech. They had a horrible stigma, too, at quarterback. Because wide open system, air raid attack, you're thinking, man, he's throwing for all those yards because guys are wide open. But if you look at Mahomes' tape, and I looked at his tech tape and his OU tape, Louisiana Tech and OU, the throws he was making, off-platform, straight dimes in tight coverage. I'm like, okay, he's legit. He's, he's Brett Favre. Basically, he's Brett Favre with a better arm. Like, how can you not take him? Like, granted, Deshaun clear number one in that class. He's number two. And when the Chiefs took him, I was like, he's special. The only issue I had, the footwork, it, you know, like you can't make off-platform throws all the time. You know, you get that feet has that, you know, that that stance has to be solid. The base has to be solid. Um, he comes in, he dominates. Not surprised. Trey Lance um is that guy for them. I feel like his duality as a dual threat quarterback gives me Cam Newton type vibes. He's gonna have a fair chance to compete with Garoppolo. They're saying all the right things. But I think he's probably going to beat out Garoppolo for the job. And if he's in there, we'll see. I mean, we'll see. You know, the game, it's different. But I feel like his ceiling's higher than Garoppolo. They're going to compete for it in the preseason. He gets the job, and he showcases that potential. I think he has. They're probably going to come out the NFC because I'm not – this is a whole other topic. I'm not sold on Tampa, man. I'm not. They're, they brought back everybody, but they're really old. And the NFL is very unkind. Two old guys. It just is. I know Brady's beat Father Time plenty of times, but it's like every key guy that they have, they're in their 30s. Mike Evans in his 30s. Levante David in his 30s. Brady just talked about had knee injury problems last year. You know, he's in his 40s, and they're bringing back everybody to run it back again. And while the NFC is a little bit more weaker, health matters at the professional level. I don't know if those guys can stay healthy for another season. And they had some fortunate breaks. Uh, Drew Brees literally just fell off a cliff in the worst game possible. That game still ticks me off. And then Aaron Rodgers came up small down the stretch in the fourth. Those two things don't happen. They probably don't even get to the Super Bowl. They get there and Mahomes doesn't have an O-line. So things broke for them the way they should. They took advantage, nothing against that. But I'm not sure that they're going to be able to run it back due to the age that they have on their roster. Makes sense. I, I agree with that. With that, 
that'll be the end of episode 17. But before I go, I want to thank off script Scotty once again came through in the clutch. Great segment that we had before we go for the promote your platform and also talk about what you liked about this form that you were able to step upon today. Man, uh, appreciate you, my guy. Uh, YouTube.com slash off script. Uh, and we're not talking about the Jamie Foxx version because you see that too underneath there. So I'm not Jamie Foxx. You see my lovely face on the uh, pictures or something like that. Uh, man, listen, I, I, man, I love this. I love your podcast, man. You are knowledgeable. You know what I'm saying? You, I, I talk to a lot of people, but nobody who knows the game in all aspects like you do. And I even say you you wild me in some of the knowledge because I'm like, oh, man, I didn't even know that. You know what I'm saying? So, and that and that's saying something because I feel like I am a pro guru. You know what I'm saying? So, I definitely uh, appreciate your knowledge. And if, if nobody is not listening to this, they are bugging because you know what you are talking about. And you can, you're very fascinated going from college to pro, pro to college. Uh, you know what I'm saying? So, appreciate you taking time out to let me uh, do this with you. And, uh, man, next time, uh, we can definitely do this again. Definitely. For sure. I'm thinking next time around, as we get close to the swag season, I'll bring you back once again. Um, I've been trying to get in contact with your other guy, Light On Sports. Me and him, we've been talking the past few weeks. He's going to probably be my next guest. So when that time comes around, you, you'll be the guy for sure to go to. And I appreciate you being able to come on because, you know, I know you're a busy guy. you got a lot of things going on. And I appreciate you being able to allow me to call you. We were able to set it up. Here we are. It's a great moment. Hey, man, anytime, my guy, I am for here. I'm trying to support everybody. Like I said, everybody can eat, baby. And as long if I can help, and you know, you'll bring me on. I, I like I love to talk, so it's it's not it's not too much for me. With that, I'll be back next week with another episode. Hope you guys have a great listen. Have a great day. See you next week. Peace.